Welcome to the National Vaccine Information Center's podcast series, Informed Consent to Vaccination is a Human Right. These podcasts are from previously recorded commentaries, articles, and presentations produced by MVIC, a charitable nonprofit organization. Our next speaker is Father Michael Copenhagen who graduated summa cum laude from the University of Scranton in Pennsylvania with a degree in philosophy and graduated magna cum laude from the Pontifical University of St. Thomas Aquinas in Rome, Italy with a master's degree in theology. He became an ordained priest in 2015. Part of the classical education movement, he has taught science, math, history, philosophy, theology, and Latin at a private academy in Rochester, New York, where he is also a parish administrator. As a married priest in the Eastern Catholic tradition, he and his wife Maria have six children. He began publicly questioning medical ethics and mandatory vaccination when his children were denied entry to private religious schools in New York based on his family's refusal to receive vaccines derived from aborted fetal cell lines. This is a moment of truth in our society. We see the storm clouds and we know that we will be pushed. Now is the time to reflect, to ascertain principles, to fortify the will, to purify the conscience. An evil hour is arriving and has arrived where extraordinary sacrifices are required to maintain the good. Those who took this medical freedom issue to be fringe can now clearly see that it was the tip of a spear aimed at the heart of our civilization implying the dissolution of individual freedom in Western democratic nations by a medically managed totalitarianism. On every front, it seems to be advancing. I've spoken to many people, confused and fearful, angry and uncertain. Many are firm, but need unity in the truth and strength of conviction with others like them. In the Nazi situation, it was the cooperation with increasing demands against conscience made on once ordinary citizens, once common individuals that rapidly saw so many people become collaborators in atrocities. We must never let ourselves slip through intimidation to act against conscience, lest we slip away from ourselves. Our duty above all, before we act, is to inform, fortify, and direct our consciences to what is right and good. My role as a representative of Jesus Christ is to edify, to instruct, to build you up in the confidence that to act in truth, to seek justice is not wrong or crazy, but good. More than a right, it is a duty. Conscience is God's gift. It plays a sacred role. I will describe what conscience is, how we inform it, its role respective of the moral law which binds us, the obligations of the state, and the specific principles which guide us in this moment, respecting quarantines, medical treatments, citizens, and their government. The purpose is to give you solid foundation in relevant Catholic teaching, such as the abuse of the notion of the common good, to justify, co- to, to justify coercive or even forced medical practices, to equip you with tools of truth, and then to help you apply them in this moment and in the future, wherever you might be. The Catholic Church tells us much in the catechism that was published some decades ago. Catechism paragraph 1777 describes moral conscience. Moral conscience present at the heart of the person enjoins him at the appropriate moment to do good and to avoid evil. 
It also judges particular choices, approving those that are good and denouncing those that are evil. It bears witness to the authority of truth in reference to the supreme good to which the human person is drawn, and it welcomes the commandments. When he listens to his conscience, the prudent man can hear God speaking. Catechism 1782, man has the right to act in conscience and in freedom, so as personally to make moral decisions. He must not be forced to act contrary to his conscience, nor must he be prevented from acting according to his conscience, especially in religious matters." Unquote. We are bound to act according to conscience, yet it is an impoverished view to simply think that conscience is an arbitrary voice, justifying whatever the individual chooses, or that it is not bound to be informed by objective truth, or that in human society there cannot be checks and limits to our choices. Yet, in a just society with a just government, a rightly formed conscience would never come into conflict with the state because they are formed by the same eternal truths, the state and the individual's conscience. So where do we turn to form the conscience? On what basis must the state enact its statutes before our consciences? We call this basis natural law. Natural law is participation in eternal divine law by rational creatures. It is the book of nature written by God, so to speak, instructing us in right and wrong, and thus it informs our conscience. Natural law is not revelation like scripture or dogma, neither is it the simple instinct we see in nature. The natural law is the light of God given to man. It is a knowledge of what things are in their essences, their very natures which translates to a knowledge of their purpose. When we study biology, we come to see the purpose of the various parts of the human body as an example. The ear in its structure tells us its nature and purpose. It is meant for hearing, not for digestion or thought, but to gather sound. The purpose of the legs is to walk. The purpose of the mind to seek and find the truth. The purpose of the will to choose what is good. And by extension, the purpose of a doctor is to give life rather than harm it. The purpose of a governor in his office is to provide for those he serves rather than to serve himself. And we force these things to act against their proper purposes and natures to our own destruction. Unlike the truths of revelation, such as the divinity of Jesus, which we know by faith, we discover this natural law through right reason. Reason is our guide in discovering the natural law, the light shining on eternal truths, an instrument which enables us to discover the right and wrong as written into the creation. When the light of reason shines on God's creation, on human nature above all, we discover the eternal law. The conscience is rightly formed, and when situations arise, our conscience acts as a kind of divine voice in our soul, a voice that we must follow, beginning with the most basic precept, to do good and to avoid evil. So when you are caught in the riptide by the voices of chaos and confusion, pushing, pushing against what is right, whether an individual or group, a government seeking expanded power or a tech giant seeking control, or a medical bureaucracy claiming power of life and death over you or your loved one. When you are told that truth changes with the moment, that might makes right, that morality morphs to the whim of the powerful. When you are subjected to the mantra of compliance at any cost, the imperative of medical protocol over the imperative of moral precept. When the state claims the right to make laws which call evil good and good evil. Remember the law which governs the governors and to which they are accountable before God. Remember these words of Cicero, which still echo from ancient Rome even before the church, when he described the rock of truth, which is the natural law. To quote Cicero, there is a true law 
a right reason conformable to nature, universal, unchangeable, eternal, whose commands urge us to duty and whose prohibitions restrain us from evil. Whether it enjoins or forbids, the good respect its injunctions and the wicked treat them with indifference. This law cannot be contradicted by any other law and is not liable either to derogation or abrogation. Neither the Senate nor the people can give us any dispensation for not obeying this universal law of justice. It needs no other expositor and interpreter than our own conscience. It is not one thing at Rome and another at Athens, one thing today and another tomorrow, but in all times and nations, this universal law must forever reign eternal and imperishable. It is the sovereign master and emperor of all beings. God himself is its author, its promulgator, its enforcer. He who obeys it not flies from himself and does violence to the very nature of man. For his crime, he must endure the severest penalties hereafter, even if he avoid the usual misfortunes of the present life." Unquote. In the conscience informed by natural law, we each have a guiding light and a duty. The duty is to seek virtue, the habit of doing good and avoiding evil. Virtue is so important in an evil moment like ours above all, before the force, because the force of habit, the act of doing the right consistently, especially formed in little things, as our Lord tells us, prepares us for the greater tests. Virtue prepares us to do what is right no matter the cost, even to the point of laying down our own lives. When you say no to an evil command in the face of inconveniences and trials, you are doing good to yourself and your neighbor, even though he may hate you for it. The state also has a duty in light of natural law to legislate following that natural law and ensure the free moral agency of the subjects to fulfill the good in their lives. Human laws reflect the eternal and natural law, such as the laws by the state. Those are human laws. The eternal and natural law is unchanging. When those human laws violate the eternal law, they lose their rightful force. The saint tells us, a human law has the character of law to the extent that it accords with right reason and thus derives from the, the eternal law. Insofar as it fit, falls short of right reason, it is said to be an unjust law and thus has not so much the nature of a law as a kind of violence. In Catholic tradition, an unjust law is no law at all. Not only do we not have to obey such a decree, we have a duty to proportionately oppose it for the sake of the good. St. John Chrysostom and others tell us that when we are not angry at an injustice, such as this, we actually commit a sin. Catechism 2242, the citizen is obliged in conscience not to follow the directives of civil authorities when they are contrary to the demands of the moral order, to the fundamental rights of persons or the teachings of the gospel. Refusing obedience to the civil authorities when their demands are contrary to those of an upright conscience finds its justification in the distinction between serving God and serving the political community. Render therefore to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God's the things that are God's. We must obey God rather than men." Unquote. This brings me to a crucial issue, the issue of the common good. The use of the medical realm to gradually take over a citizenry is a uniquely dark kind of evil. Under the cover of a high calling meant to heal and restore, it destroys. A ministry of life becomes a ministry of death. This is the madness of a society at a rapid crossroads. When, for example, in one room of a medical facility, a doctor will spare no time, expense, effort, or innovation to heroically save a life of a premature infant. 
And in another room, in the same facility, a child of identical age in God's image and likeness is brutally destroyed by a doctor with similar training for convenience sake. As the dominoes violently fall around us with one oppressive ordinance following the last, conscience is being dismissed by those in power as if outweighed by the common good. You know this, we have all heard and experienced it in statements by both secular and ecclesiastical politicians. The common good is perhaps the most abused concept at the moment in our civil discourse. Its abuse has become a pretense for every kind of encroachment, yet it is one of the most important and rich concepts in the Catholic tradition. Since it is being invoked as a tool to morally enshackle rather than elevate, you must know what it is and what it is not so that you can respond to the Pharisees of the moment who twist the words of God to undermine his purposes. Pay attention to the argument I give here. It fundamentally refutes the sleight of hand that's being used in so many places in legislatures and elsewhere. The common good is the principle and end of our political life together in society. It is not a private particular good like a piece of private property, even though we need those things. It is public good. It is a public good we share in common. It is indivisible and transcendent. Common goods such as justice under law, societal peace, the protection of the family, virtuous citizens, and the well-being, including physical well-being of public health, enable us to thrive in society. The common good has three elements, the free moral agency of the individual, each individual in society, the well-being of the society as a whole, and the security of the state. Catechism 1907 discusses the first, the free moral agency of the individual. First, the common good presupposes respect for the person as such. In the name of the common good, public authorities are bound to respect the fundamental and inalienable rights of the human person. Society should permit each of its members to fulfill his vocation. In particular, the common good resides in the conditions for the exercise of the natural freedoms indispensable for the, the development of the human vocation such as the right to act according to a sound norm of conscience and to safeguard privacy and rightful freedom also in matters of religion. What about an apparent conflict? We see this proposed in many places between the individual's objection and the well-being of the community and the common good, which is posed uh, in so many places in the passage of oppressive measures. Public health authorities frequently will substitute the atheist materialist utilitarian formula for the true common good. The greatest good for the greatest number is what that is. Claiming the benefit of the greater number of people outweighs the fewer. However, Catechism 1903 corrects this error. That's not truly the common good. 1903, authority is legitimate only when it seeks the common good of the group concerned and if it employs morally licit means to attain it meaning you cannot be forced to engage in an immoral act in the name of the common good. 2235, no one can command or establish what is contrary to the dignity of persons and the natural law. So when we read this, the church's teaching, we must know when a mandate crosses the boundary into immorality, even if it only affects one person, because this nullifies any, any claim that they are serving the common good. If we cannot be coerced in conscience in religious matters, which touch on eternal life, and how can we be coerced in matters of personal health, which touches only on our short life in this world? Coercion in medical matters by undermining informed consent through dishonesty, withholding of information or pressure, or through outright forcing a procedure is morally illicit. 
Such acts are illegitimate uses of authority according to the church's own definition and medical ethics. For example, concentrating public discourse in private social media platforms, which subsequently censure open sharing of relevant medical information and opinion undermines informed consent and damages the legitimacy of the medical system. No tech giants, the truth does not require your approval. It does just fine on its own. It will always eventually rise to the surface. Silencing critics means you are an enemy of truth, not its friend. You are an enemy of science, not its protector. Instead, instead of gagging your opponent, prove him wrong. According to the doctrine of the common good, we cannot be forced to participate in an intrinsically evil act because it undermines the common good, such as the perpetual commerce in human remains obtained through violence in the case of medical treatments using aborted fetal cell lines. I do not consent to the use of such a product. I will not consent and neither should you. Shame on those who say we have a duty to directly participate in such an evil in the name of public health. They insult God, they insult his creation, they insult his goodness, generosity and justice. They are wolves and should be regarded as such. I do not exploit the killing of my infant neighbor to save myself and neither should anyone ever. This issue will be all the more front and center when vaccine distribution begins for coronavirus. Live, know, and breathe these truths when that hour arrives. In addition to never compelling the immoral, legitimate emergency measures are always firmly temporary, proportionate, and justified by a true emergency. Quarantines or refusal of access to ordinary life in society cannot be used to coerce agreement to a medical procedure. The state may reasonably protect the health of the public in an emergency by legitimate uses of quarantine, but they must be firmly temporary and proportionate. Proportionate meaning that they do less total harm to the society than good and justified by an actual immediate active emergency where they are enacted. The cessation of emergency measures must be tied to the cessation of the emergency, not being artificially tied to the acquiescence to a medical treatment or supposed panacea. As Catechism 2237 tells us, suspending political rights requires legitimate and proportionate reason. This answers the question about masks if you think about it. If there is an emergency and the proposed measure is demonstrably effective, then it may be imposed only in public in those places where and when the emergency exists. It cannot be continued indefinitely as a holdout measure to be lifted once a person is vaccinated as a means to coerce their decision to receive that treatment. Those who cooperate beyond what is proportionate only, only to avoid negative attention act contrary to reason. They harm themselves and their neighbor and the common good. Expanding flu shot mandates is being used as a soft introduction to heavier measures, probably a corona vaccine. However, it is not proportionate and therefore not listed to mandate a pre preventative remedy, such as the flu shot, of admittedly little efficacy against a mostly unserious illness. CDC's website says the flu shot since 2014 has averaged a 34% effectiveness. The illness is not sufficiently grave usually, and the effectiveness of the shot is sufficiently low to constitute extraordinary means when we assess this for personal use. In our theology, extraordinary means are those which are unlikely to work or are never strictly required in the situation. The flu shot qualifies as this. Therefore, the individual is not bound to receive it no matter how safe. If the individual is not bound to do it, then the state has no grounds in requiring it. Moreover, governing officials, even in emergencies, may never, according to our theology, act outside the scope of their prescribed legal authority. 
Catholic teaching tells us that if a measure is not constitutional or legal, it may not be enacted and need not be obeyed. This is a problem with many of the current measures, such as unconstitutional limits on free assembly in homes, churches, and elsewhere. If we want emergency capacity to limit free assembly by the government, then pass the constitutional amendment, but do not create laws and ordinances with no foundation. To paraphrase one commentator on Catholic tradition, the state is bound to act in accordance with the law and cannot act without explicit legal authority. If it does, it acts lawlessly, just as I cannot usurp three feet into my neighbor's yard, so the state cannot act, cannot act outside legitimate bounds. Whoever enacts a law for another should apply the same law to himself. And we have it on the authority of a wise man that you should subject yourself to the same law which you promulgate." Unquote. This author continues, the vis directiva is nothing else than the expression of the natural order of justice which limits the authority of the ruler. The state must obey the law. The state cannot exercise power over anyone unless the law permits. There must be a law authorizing everything the state does. For example, the state is not capable of creating human rights by law or by convention. They can only confirm their existence and give them protection. The role of the state is no more than declaratory. Human rights have always existed with the human being. They existed independently of and before the state existed. To be legitimate, emergency measures must be temporary. Indefinite powers are as good as permanent powers. In the ancient Roman Republic, when absolute authority to address a crisis like an invasion or some a crisis within the society, when that power was given to a so-called dictator, they wisely set a date of a few months, perhaps six months in the future, when that extraordinary authority to act completely ceased. This prevented usurpation. There was a deadline and then the emergency powers ended. We should learn from that example. Again, measures must always be proportionate. As Jesus says in criticism of the legal perversion of the Pharisees, we have blind guides when they strain out the gnat and swallow the camel. This brings me to proposed treatments for coronavirus. How do we know whether participating in an act is moral? To say that people have a moral obligation to participate in an act, be it a medical treatment or any other act, that act requires that certain criteria are present. It cannot be immoral, which means we must have the right intention, one. Two, the objective act must not be sinful in itself. And three, the circumstances must not make the act sinful. Those are the three fonts of a moral act. Based on the discourse at the moment, mandating the reception of a treatment which has not been created, a treatment whose risks have not been assessed, whose long-term safety and success are not known, whose effectiveness is not ascertained, whose need, depending on the nature of the illness, may not be sufficiently grave when it is available, whose means of production may be immoral, whose means of operation in the body, as with gene editing, may pose grave moral problems, whose use may lend itself to abuses, including as an instrument for the means of unethical coercion of another, whose production and marketing may inflate an unethical model of medical commerce, whose ability to stop transmission may be completely distinct from any immunity conferred to the individual. In short, an act which may involve bad intentions by the purveyors and creators, a bad object in what it is itself, and bad circumstances. This may very well be a morally repugnant act. To act as, this is, as if this is already morally compulsory without genuine information and consent of the recipient is an act of violence, of tyranny, and of dishonesty. And to those who cite the moral law to pressure their neighbor, 
Stop invoking the gift of conscience in order to coerce rather than inform, to bind rather than to set free. The discussion about gene editing and proposed treatments is serious. An alteration such as gene editing, not restoring the order of nature, but seeking to supposedly improve it, is not only reckless, but constitutes an alteration in something fundamental to our identity as bestowed by God. This is evil. There is serious discussion in the health industry about using nanotechnology or microscopic biological markers in injections to mark the individual for tracing or recording purposes. Whether this is done in the developed world or anywhere else, whatever the claimed intention, it is wrong and we should never cooperate in crossing this line. We have a word for this and we should use it. It's called branding. Technology that permanently marks another person always historically boils down to one thing, even if it doesn't appear that way at first, a claim of ownership. For whatever immoral purpose, branding is used to mark a person for trafficking. Branding inherently creates two strata, the cattle and the cattle wranglers, the passive recipients and the active managers of whatever control the branding facilitates. This is not medicine. This is the signature of slavery seared into the flesh of the property. This further undermines the state's obligation to protect free moral agency. It is the inverse of the holy. Adam marks the creatures in the garden with names as an act of dominion. Christ our God claims us as his own for the good through the indelible marks on our soul of baptism and chrismation. We are subject to God, not to man. We do not brand each other and to seriously entertain the discussion is morally repugnant. There is a bigger discussion sorely needed about the ethical restraints and boundaries of technology and a medical surveillance state, such as with the use of contact tracing, which would only seem effective to prevent the very early seeding of a virus in the population. So again, it cannot be a coercive, forced or permanent measure, especially when used for potential medical coercion because it undermines free moral agency and thereby undermines the common good and violates the conscience of the citizenry. In the end, the right of conscientious objection to a direct medical procedure is an indisputable safeguard against corrupt influence in government and private industry, which potentially could expand to universal coercion. It means that there is an outlet when we have conscientious objection, a safeguard against complicit coercive corruption. If a bad product is supported by some form of government endorsed monopoly, there is an ability for an increasing percentage of the population to act, to refuse. The safeguard requires, however, the free distribution of information. Restriction of legitimate statements to the point of censorship of anyone but an elite or recognized group, as is happening in the medical community, is an instrument of suppression. We must also address the risk of this dark curtain closing on the developed world. The use of what we value disproportionately to, main, to manipulate and to enslave us. There is only one response, refusal to cooperate. Conscious application of principles, firmness in truth and conviction. What is happening right now in Australia is not a mistake. It is not a mistake that the first developed country to recently begin persecuting the church, both through imprisoning members of the hierarchy out of a bigotry based on unfounded accusations and a willingness to legally compel 
clergy to violate the inviolable seal of confession is the same country with the most aggressive totalitarian discussions about forced medical procedures enacted by societal exclusion. The first country to violate the conscience of Catholics at the core is the land of the most draconian disproportionate lockdowns, violating the common good by excessive measures. There is a solution, a single antidote to this poison. Our society has fallen so easily to this because of extreme immorality and the blindness and inner turmoil that occurs in the soul as a result. The microcosm of the soul in an individual has become the macrocosm of our society. And medicine has become a purveyor of superstitions. The superstition that the Holy Eucharist is dangerous and takeout is safe. That grace is less essential compared with groceries. There is only one cure for the idolatry of medicine, the worship of the true God. One cure for false religion, real religion. Only repentance and conversion of hearts will turn around the situation that we're in today. When our hearts are enslaved to sin, we become slaves in every other way. When we become free as children of truth, the exterior shackles eventually dissolve as well. Our nation is not being enslaved, it is choosing slavery. And the irony at this moment is so many are decrying the social legacy of slavery into the 20th century. And at the same moment, they are accepting the modern path to enslavement as the solution to our problems, political, economic, religious, and moral. Medicine is a good, but it is not the highest good. Its purpose is to restore, not to destroy. Christ is the divine physician and healer of infirmities in body and soul. Just as the Sabbath is made for man, not man for the Sabbath, man is not made for medicine and technology, but technology and medicine for man, to enhance and enable our free moral agency, not to ensnare and bind it. So it will not do for us to seek any and all medical interventions and societal overhauling to attempt to lift medical infirmities while we heap spiritual and moral infirmities upon ourselves and our society. Even if the entire world goes mad, because it has abandoned God and truth, we can be at peace. There is an eternal law written in our hearts, the law of conscience, and we must obey that law, come what may, and God will be with us. God bless you. Glory be to the holy, consubstantial, life-giving, and undivided trinity, now and always, and forever and ever. Amen. Before you take a risk, find out what it is. To learn more about vaccines, diseases, and the human right to inform consent, visit mvic.org, the website of the nonprofit charity, the National Vaccine Information Center. Since 1982, MVIC has worked to prevent vaccine injuries and deaths through public education and to secure informed consent protections in U.S. vaccine policies and laws. Visit mvic.org and mvicadvocacy.org to get well-referenced vaccine information that you can trust and share with your family, friends, and members of your community. It's your health, your family, your choice.